Well, good morning, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to our worship service this morning. It's so good to see you all here. Welcoming those of you who are joining us online today as well. We're just glad to have you all here as we worship our Lord together. Um, we're going to begin our worship service by singing the song, Ancient of Days. And I thought I would just give a little background on, on where that phrase comes from and how you know what it means to us as we sing it. So... We know that in Bible times, the term Ancient of Days was used to refer to the sovereign God as described in the book of Daniel in chapter 7. And so just for a little background, um, Daniel was a prophet of God when the nation of Israel had been exiled because of their rebellion against the Lord. And it was sort of a punishment for that. And uh, Daniel was one of those exiles, and he was in the government in Babylon because of... Uh, his abilities. And while he was there, God sent him many dreams and visions that were sort of prophetic. He was speaking to his people through those things that he communicated to Daniel through dreams and visions. And Daniel chapter 7 describes those visions, which is a glimpse into heaven. And Daniel sees God the Father on the throne and refers to him as the Ancient of Days. But this passage is also notable in it, that it also describes a future Messiah. And that Messiah is referred to as a son of man, which is literally translated a son of Adam, or in Hebrew, Ben Adam. And Jesus continually referred to himself as Ben Adam in order to clearly communicate to the Hebrew audience that he is the Messiah, and is in fact human. It's, it's referencing the fact, the humanity of Jesus. But the Son of Man in Daniel 7 is also mentioned as coming in the clouds of heaven and is worshipped. So Jesus, in using that term, is emphasizing his divinity as well. So that's, if you see, when he refers to himself as Son of Man in the, in the New Testament, he's really keying into his audience to really call himself the Messiah. And uh, incidentally, this passage of Daniel 7 is the only place where those two terms appear in the Old Testament. So now let's listen as I read this passage that this song is taken from. Daniel is saying, As I looked, 
thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow and the hair on his head was as white as wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. And a river of fire was flowing coming out from before him. And thousands and thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And in my vision that night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So that's the God that we're here to worship. So if you're able, please stand and let's sing together, acknowledging the sovereignty of this Ancient of Days. Blessing and honor. with you here this morning. If you're visiting or new here, my name is Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. If you are new or you're visiting, a couple things for you to be aware of. One, on your way out this morning, you can stop at the welcome table in the back, just out in the foyer there, and we have a, a gift for you. Also, in the seat back in front of you, we have a a connect card. If you just want to pass along any information about yourself to us that you'd like us to know about you, we would love to just know a little bit about you if you're here visiting with us this morning. So, 
couple things for us to be aware of as a the church family. Uh, one is that after the service, you know, we have this time downstairs where we have coffee and baked goods, and so we're looking for a few more people to contribute baked goods to that. And so there's a a sign-up sheet downstairs if you are interested in providing baked goods for that. And you can sign up for um, a week that you can bring baked goods as part of that. Um, yeah. So again, it's, just, it's good to to be gathered together here with you as God's family gathered in this place before, and that we can come before and we can fix our eyes, fix our hearts to Him and worship. And so as we continue in that, let's pray and fix our heart on Him. Father, we come and we just thank You that You have enabled each person gathered here, whether they're here physically or they're watching online, each of us to come be present here this morning to take time out of the busyness of life to quiet our minds, quiet our hearts. Come before you, set aside all their cares, and worship. Yeah, would you help us do that this morning? Is Cared of this world, fight for our attention and fight for our brain space. Would you help us to put those things aside for the moment so we can worship you, we can be amazed by what a great God you are. Be amazed by what an incredible Savior Jesus is. As we we sing now, would we not, we not just mouth along with the word, but would our heart cry out these words to you? Would we want nothing more than to bring you glory this morning? Grace in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you remember last Sunday, Jen West was sitting here at the piano and she was taught, she mentioned how much she enjoyed pure worship songs. And that resonated with me. And then it occurred to me, I actually can do something about that. So the next set of songs we'll do will be um, a set of, of what I think are pure worship songs. You know, a lot of the songs that we sing in this church um, celebrate the things that God is to us, the position we have in, in Him, the fact that we can come into His presence because we have been justified by what He did for us. And we talk about the attributes of God, the things that He is, and those are all very great ways to worship the Lord. But also, I mean, those are songs that, that celebrate what we know about God, what we know to be true about God, all excellent stuff. But sometimes it's fun to sing songs that, celebrate how we feel about God. So that's what we'll do this morning. So if you're able, would stand with us and let's worship together.
Father, would that be true of us? We, we feel the deep and abiding love for you. And as we, we come to your word this morning, as we hear what you have to say to us through your word, would it do nothing but cause us to fall, fall more and more in love with you, to love you more deeply, or to conform us more and more to the image of your Son, Jesus, so that our lives reflect that love for you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There are a number of surveys floating around out there about like what the most common fear among Americans are. And depending on what survey you ask, the order changes a little bit, but the top three fears typically among Americans are snakes, public speaking, and heights. Those are kind of the top three fears. In one survey I looked at, like 51% of Americans said they were afraid of snakes, 40% said they were afraid of public speaking, and 36% said they were afraid of heights. And of those three fears, like I can deeply identify with two of them. Like, and like based on the fact that I get up here every week, right, you can probably figure out which one doesn't apply to me. Right? But like p- snakes and heights, like I'm out. Right? Like I, I, I want nothing to do with either, either one of those. Like all those fears, though, they kind of make sense on some level. Right? Like, like height, right? If you're up high and you fall, like, you're going to have a bad day. Right? The same thing like, like snakes, right? Like a large percentage of snakes in the world, not a large percentage, but like a decent chunk, right? They can kill you if they, if they bite you. And like speaking in public, maybe it doesn't cause like any physical danger, but you come up here and make a fool of yourself, like there's some serious emotional damage that can be done, right? So there's reasons for all those fears. But what I find really interesting is like when the logic behind our fears kind of breaks down. Like like I said, like I'm not much, I'm not a big fan of snakes. And it makes sense, right? Because snakes can kill you. Right? But then the fear kind of loses its logic. Like if you show me like a little harmless garter snake, and you can convince me and I can believe you 100% that like this snake is harmless, but I'm still not going to be a fan. Right? It's like there's a logical breakdown there. Like I'm still going to be afraid even though I know this snake can't hurt me. Or on that survey I mentioned a minute ago, 24% of people surveyed said they have a fear of flying in airplanes. Even though we probably all have heard the numbers that like it's far safer to fly in airplanes than it is to drive in cars. Yeah, far more people are afraid of flying in airplanes than they are of driving in cars. Or perhaps like the, my favorite example of this is like 10% of people in that survey said they were afraid of going to the doctor. And on the one hand, like, that makes sense. Like, going to the doctor can reveal some disease or some problem that can be scary to deal with. But if you take any time to think about this logically, like, it's, it's not hard to see that it makes no sense. Right? Because most of our fears are rooted in, like, the fear of something that can harm us, something bad happening to us. Right? But doctors, right, they exist to prevent or to alleviate harm when it arises, right? They do the opposite of what the thing that should cause a fear. So when someone's afraid of going to the doctor, right, what they're really afraid of is like, what the doctor might discover, right? not the doctor himself. Because like, going to the doctor doesn't make a disease pop into existence. It only reveals what was there all along. And so a fear... The doctor is like, it's illogical, or it's a, it's a misplaced fear. It's like my fear of garter snakes, or a fear of flying. 
The point being, we all have this tendency as humans to misplace our fears, to fear the wrong things sometimes. We see kind of really the the ultimate example of that in today's passage. We're going to be in in Luke chapter 12 this morning. I invite you to turn there. If you have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you. If you need one, the verses will also be on the screen. So we're going to look at the first 12 verses of Luke chapter 12 this morning. And kind of like what we're going to see in this passage, right, is that the proper object of our fear, the main thing we should fear, is, is God and not man. And in saying that, we need to define what we mean by fear carefully. And I'll do that, but before we do that, let's read this passage together. So Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 1. We read this. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Right? So if you were here last week, remember like Jesus had this big fight, this big conflict with the Pharisees, where he called them out for being hypocrites. And that story ends with the Pharisees getting really upset, and they're going to look for an opportunity to trap Jesus, right? to catch him and think something wrong so they can get him in trouble. And now in this passage... Jesus is going to shift his focus away from the Pharisees and focus instead on his disciples and urge them not to follow the path of the Pharisees. And like the fundamental problem with the Pharisees, the thing that Jesus wants his disciples not to do like the Pharisees, that the Pharisees are hypocrites. Because they, they claim to care about honoring God. But what they actually care about is receiving honor for, from their fellow man for the way they honor God. They care more about receiving glory and honor from their fellow man than they care about giving glory and honor to God. They're hypocrites. If they care about getting the best seat in the synagogues. They care about doing things that make them look holy, like tithing their mint and their spices. But they don't actually care about being holy. And so, in, so Jesus now, in today's passage, right, in verse 1 here, he describes the hypocrisy of the Pharisees as, as leaven. And so leaven is like a yeast that is put into bread to make it rise. But as Paul says in Galatians 5, like the thing about yeast is that just a little bit of leaven, right, leavens the whole loaf. Right? Just a little bit of yeast will affect the whole loaf of bread. If we've got to put our analogies together, just like a little bit of hypocrisy in somebody's life, a little bit right, will affect and will tarnish the whole person. And so Jesus here, this whole passage, he's going to urge his followers, like be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Be on guard against hypocrisy in your life. And in the rest of the passage, he's going to lay out for his followers the ways that we they go about avoiding the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. They pick up in verse 2. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. 
And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before the synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Like, so the main, the main idea in the passage is kind of summed up in verses 4 and 5. And those verses again say, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw it, throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And so like, if we could kind of sum up what Jesus is saying here. What do you think? That like, the key to avoiding the hypocrisy of the, uh, hypocrisy of the Pharisees right, is fearing God more than fearing man. That the Pharisees feared man and made them hypocrites. But if we fear God more than we fear man, we will avoid the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. But as I said earlier, in saying that, we need to be careful to understand what Jesus meant by fearing God. And the key distinction here is that fearing God is not the same thing as being afraid of God. And so here, in verse 5, Jesus commands us to fear God, to fear Him. But then just two verses later in verse 7, Jesus tells us, he says, do not be afraid of God, because you are more valuable than many sparrows. So Jesus, in the same breath, says, fear God and don't be afraid. The fear God can't mean exactly the same thing as be afraid of God. Instead, like, to fear God in this context means to have a, a reverent awe, like a respect for who God is and what he's capable of. What Jesus is calling us to do in this passage is to let our actions be motivated by our fear of God. And by fear of God, he means like by a reverent respect for who God is and what God has done. Instead of letting our actions be fueled by a desire to earn the favor of our fellow man, let's let our actions be fueled by a desire to honor God. Then in the passage, Jesus gives us three reasons we should fear God. And then he tells us three things that we can do to show that we do indeed fear God. We're going to start looking at the first three reasons that Jesus gives us to fear God. And the first of those reasons that Jesus says we should fear God is that he knows everything. He knows all. Verses 2 and 3 say, There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden, that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roof. Just sit with those verses for a minute. Just think about all the times you've done something that if it was known would bring you shame, embarrassment, guilt. Those verses should concern us. That there is nothing you've done that will not be revealed. There's nothing you've whispered that will not be shouted from the rooftops. Just, just think of all the times like you've, you've gossiped behind someone's back thinking that no one would ever be able to trace words back to you. Think of all the, the nasty thoughts you've had about a coworker or a neighbor or a family member who drives you crazy. Thinking that, like, well, they're just my thoughts. Right? No one will ever know. Think of all the times you've done something that you thought you got away with with no one knowing. What exactly those 
things are maybe different for each one of us. But we've all done things. We've all said things. We've all had thoughts where we hope no one ever finds out. But Jesus says here that God knows those things and they are going to be exposed. There is no hiding from God. There are no thoughts you think. There are no words you say. There are no things you do that God does not know about. And for all of us, because we're all sinners, we all do things we know we shouldn't do, Like that should be a fearful proposition. To know that the God of the universe is aware of every sinful thing you've ever thought, every sinful thing you've ever said, every sinful thing you've ever done, that should cause us to tremble. Especially in light of the next reason we see to fear God, which is that God determines your eternity. Verses 4 and 5 again say, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Look, in the end of Luke 11, we saw the Pharisees becoming enraged at Jesus. They're trying to provoke him into doing something wrong and trapping him into saying something he shouldn't have said. There's this tension rising between Jesus and the Pharisees. And Jesus knows that his disciples will eventually be on the receiving end of that tension. He wants to prepare them for what they are going to face. And the most helpful thing you can tell them is like, in the face of opposition, like, look, like, the worst thing they can do to you is kill you. And that's not what you ought to fear. The thing, you, the thing worth fearing is not how your life will end. The thing worth fearing is where you'll spend eternity. So Jesus says here. You just think about all those like, common fears people have. Right? They're all rooted in the fact that they can kill you. Like, people are afraid of snake because snake can kill you. People are afraid of height because a fall from up high can kill you. People are afraid of the dark because it could conceal something. They could jump out and kill you. But while death is a formidable enemy, death is tragic, death is scary, all those things are true. But in the grand scheme of things, if we really believe what the Bible teaches, if we really believe that this life, this world is not all there is, if we really believe that each and every one of us has an eternity before us, and that eternity has either the glories of heaven or the torment of hell. If we really believe that, right, then how and when this vapor of a life will end doesn't matter all that much. What does matter ultimately is where we spend eternity. And ultimately, the passage tells us that it's God who determines where we spend that eternity. Jesus here says that it is God who, after the body has been killed, has the authority to throw you into hell. That's not a really popular message. It's not a very heartwarming message, but it's what Jesus said. The fact that God has the authority to throw us into hell should cause us to fear God more than anything that any man can do to us. When we consider that we're all sinners, that there is no hope of hiding our sin from God, and that the Bible teaches us that any sins mean that we any sin means that we deserve eternity in hell. That's a truly fearful there's no hiding our sin. We're all sinners, and sin deserves hell. That is fearful. It's an 
It would be incredibly bad news. If not for the, <clears throat> not for the third reason, Jesus gives us in the passage to fear God. That's the third reason we have to fear God. The third reason we have to stand in awe of God, according to this passage, is that God loves us and He cares for us. Listen again to verses 6 and 7. Let me, let me start in 5 so we can see how Jesus makes the switch. So again, 5 he says, Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. But then Jesus switches and he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Like, you hear this, right? Despite the fact that God sees all our sin, He sees all our hidden thoughts and words and actions, He sees the worst of us. He still loves us and He still cares for us. Our sparrows are a, a nothing bird. Five are sold for two pennies. Yet God knows and cares about each and every one of them. And if that's true of nothing bird sparrows, how much more true is that of you? That God cares for you far more than He cared about sparrows. In fact, he, he cared about you so much that He knows the number of hairs on your head. And granted, for some of you, it's getting easier and easier as the years go by. Right? But still, like, 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 I love my wife, I love my kids. I have no idea how many hairs are on their head. Like, I don't have enough patience, I don't care nearly enough to find out. But God cares. God knows. I'll just I'll put the flow of thought of this whole passage together so far. And it's mind-boggling. Like God knows everything about you. Every hidden, secret sin that you thought you covered up and got away with. He knows all your worst thoughts. He knows everything you've said that you shouldn't have said. He knows all the worst things you've ever done. And He has absolute authority to determine your eternity based on all those worst things you've ever done. And yet, He doesn't write you off. He doesn't leave you to your own devices. He doesn't wash His hands of you. He continues to love you and care about you. And there's, there's no greater evidence of that than that Jesus is here in this passage on earth saying those things to his disciples. Despite the fact that God knows everything about us, all the worst stuff, he still sent his son to enter the world. He sent his son to enter this broken and sinful and fallen world. And Jesus, the son, willingly gives up all the glories of heaven to come and live among us, a sinful and broken people. Why? Because he cares about us. And he deeply desired to provide a way for us to be restored to God, have our sins forgiven. This book of Luke like, ultimately will culminate with Jesus being crucified on a cross, buried, and then three days later, raised from the dead. Like, just notice how in doing those things, he removes the reasons we have to be afraid of God. As Jesus hung on the cross, He paid the penalty for all our sins we've ever committed. Both our secret sins and our public sins, He's paid the penalty for all of them. But on the cross, God treated Jesus as if He sinned all those sins that we ever sinned. And if we believe in Him, God treats us as if we lived the sinless life that Jesus lived. And so doing that, he like, Jesus takes away the need to be fearful that God knows all our sins. 
That God now treats them as if Jesus is them and they're paid for on the cross. There's no more need to fear our sins being exposed. And then in, in rising from the dead, like Jesus proved that this life is not all there is. Jesus proved by His resurrection that dying here on this earth is not the most fearsome thing that can happen to us. Because there is an eternity that stretches before us. Right? In, in being raised, Jesus proved that death is defeated and therefore no longer needs to be feared. And in joyfully coming to earth to do all those things, Jesus proved how much God loves us and cares about us. I just like think about this thing. A God who knows all the worst things about you, yet joyfully gives up the glories of heaven to come and be with you. The God to be feared indeed. Not a God to be afraid of, but a God to stand in reverent awe of. That He would do that for you even in the midst of all your brokenness and sin. So if you're here this morning, you're watching, and you've, you've never trusted that Jesus is the way that all your sins, all your hidden sins, all your public sins can be forgiven, then I'll just urge you to like, trust in Jesus, knowing that on the cross, He paid the penalty for your sin. Turn to Him, trust Him for forgiveness. And if you're here this morning, you have trusted in Jesus. Take a moment to, again, stand in reverent awe of all that God did for you in Jesus. Let's be a people who, who fear God and not man because of what Jesus did for us. And if we're going we're gonna to be a, that kind of people, a people who fear God and not man, then there are, there are three things we see in this passage, three ways that we can display to show the world that we truly do care about Fearing God and not man. The first way we can show that we fear God is by confessing our sins and repenting. Right, if, what Jesus said, if what Jesus said in verses 2 and 3 is true, right, that there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known, if that's true, right, then there's no point in trying to hide your sins. Right? It's a futile endeavor. Like, the reason Jesus tells us this is not primarily as a motivation not to sin. There's certainly a piece of that. Like, knowing your sins will be revealed is a good reason not to sin. Right? But that's not the primary reason Jesus tells us this. The primary reason Jesus tells us that all our sins will be revealed is to invite us to confess and repent of our sins. I remember a while back like when the full scope of like how many baseball players were using steroids were kind of coming to light. Like, I felt like every couple of weeks some other big name was getting busted for using steroids. And sometimes they would deny it out and out, right? But sometimes they would go on TV and give this like, tearful apology, this tearful confession. They would feel, they'd be all contrite. Like they would get on there, they would confess, and they would apologize. Right? But because that confession and that apology came after they got caught, it always felt kind of hollow. If they had confessed and apologized before they were caught, it would have come across as much more sincere. And the same thing is true of us. Right? Like all our sins are going to be exposed. But if we confess and repent now, First John tells us, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Jesus' point here is not first and foremost to motivate us not to sin. Jesus is saying, like, look, God already knows your sins. 
to confess them before they're exposed. And confess them and then turn away from them and turn to God in repentance. And we can, we can do that because of the second reason, the second way to show that we fear God, which is to trust in God's goodness. And the second way we show our fear of God is by trusting in His goodness. By trusting, like believing that we really do believe that He does indeed care more about us than He cares about sparrows. We show we fear God by really believing that God knows the number of hairs on our head. We fear God when we, when we believe that He loves and cares about us so much that He sent His Son to die in our place so our sins could be forgiven. We fear God when we believe that He cares so much about us that He will be with us in life's hardest moments. Verses 11 and 12 say, When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. What Jesus, Jesus is saying here. Like, when you're persecuted for obeying God, and you're persecuted for following God, God is still with you. The Holy Spirit will be with you in the midst of your darkest and your hardest moments. God doesn't leave you to figure out how to navigate life's challenges in your own power. He gives you the Holy Spirit to equip you to face all of life's hardest moments. If we truly believe that, then we're, we're freed up and we're empowered to do the third thing that we see here and how we show that we fear God. If we really believe that God is with us, God cared about us, then we're freed up to acknowledge God before others. Verses 8 through 10 we read, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. It's really easy to read those verses read these three verses all together, and then like, get to that last part where Jesus says, anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And like, forget about everything else. Right? Just like, wonder, like, what does that mean? Like, let me tell you what I think that means first, then we'll come back to the main point of these verses. Like, what does it mean to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? I think to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is to continually reject the work of the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit's primary work is to convict people of sin and point them to Jesus. So therefore, like blasting the Holy Spirit then is to continually, in an ongoing way, reject the message of the gospel of Jesus. To reject the notion that Jesus is the only way that our sins can be forgiven. And that's what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, to reject the call of the gospel, to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And that brings us back to what I think really Jesus is the primary point in the verses, which is that for us as believers in Jesus, we are called to share the message of Jesus with those around us. We are called to acknowledge God before men even when it's not popular. Like even when it does for the disciples, even when it leads us into trials and difficulties. Like of the apostles, ten of them will go on to die martyrs' deaths for their testimony to the gospel. And yet it didn't stop any of them from doing it. It's because of verses like this, that God... Jesus calls the disciples to acknowledge God before men, even in the midst of 
trials and difficulties. At the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, but they acknowledge God when it made them look good in front of others. But the challenge of these verses is to acknowledge God even when it hurt our standing with our fellow man. That's like one of the main things that we're about as a church. One of our kind of three main points of emphasis in our mission is reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we believe that is what we're called to do through verses like this. We believe we're called to acknowledge God before man by telling them about Jesus, even when it's not popular. As we think about how this passage, these verses, should impact our life as we leave here today, that's one of the big ways. This passage should motivate us to be bold in acknowledging God before others. And then to know that if we do acknowledge God before others, Jesus will acknowledge us before the Father. Another one of our our big values of the church is to grow to be like Christ. As we think about these verses we read this morning, how does it impact how we grow to be like Christ? One of the big ways we grow is by confessing our sins. Like to grow in the knowledge that we don't need to hide our sins. We don't need to walk in here on a Sunday morning acting like we have it all figured out, it all put together. We don't. But we know that Jesus came to forgive us so we can freely confess and repent of our sins and that way grow in Christ-likeness. And finally, the last kind of big value of our church is that we serve others. So like we can think about like how does this passage impact how we serve other people? Think like this. Just as God knows all our secret sins, just as God knows everything we do, even when it seems like we got away with it. Right? The reverse is true. Like God sees all the times we serve other people even when it seems like nobody noticed. When we do kind things for someone else and it seems like no one has ever acknowledged it. Our motivation for serving should be knowing that God sees those moments. Not to receive praise from men, but knowing that we are honoring God as we serve other people. Knowing that God sees we can serve others, not caring whether we receive honor and praise from men, but only that God will honor us for the way we serve others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Sending your Son to teach us in your word, but more so for dying on a cross so that our sins can be forgiven. Father, our sins are many. We know that even the sins that we think we've hidden well will one day be exposed. But because of Jesus, we need not fear because Jesus paid penalty for those sins. God, would you help us as we go from here to live in the freedom that is available in Jesus because of what he's done for us. freedom of knowing our sins are forgiven. The freedom of knowing that pleasing you does not come down to our own self-effort. The freedom of knowing that Jesus has done all that is required for us. So God, would that free us to live lives that bring you glory.
not to earn your favor, but as an overflow of our gratitude for all you've done for us. Thank you for Jesus, for the forgiveness offered in Him. We go living lives that honor you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go, would you go free of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, but trusting in Jesus for the skins of your sins and letting that free you to live lives that serve and honor and glorify God. You are dismissed. Mm-hmm.